Amen. Hey, good to see you guys. How are we today? Spring is kind of teasing us, isn't it? I'm willing spring with my colors into existence. I am, I am. Hey, before I get into love hacks, I'm super excited to do that. Uh, I just want to say something briefly about masks. Uh, I hate talking about this stuff, but you know, I, I've been vaccinated. I've had the COVID thing. I'm like so done with masks. But I've been talking to people in our church, and people are coming back more and more. But a lot of people are like, I can't come back because I've kind of been traumatized by this. They've been really, really sick. They've lost a loved one. They haven't been vaccinated yet. So as best you can, keep your mask on, like when you're singing and you're going in and out, that kind of thing. And you got to take it off to drink coffee or whatever, or gas because of something I said. Then you can do that. But let's try to keep our mask on, right? Because it's not a political thing. This is a love thing for us. And First Corinthians 8, it talks about using our freedom to love people, not to be a stumbling block. So anyway, thank, thanks for helping with that. Okay, love hacks. A little background on this, uh, this book and this series and everything. Uh, three years ago, I did a series called Love Hacks, and it was pretty popular, and people say, hey, you should write a book. And I never saw myself as an author or somebody who would write a book, but I go, okay, I'll give it a try. And so I did it like three to five minutes at a time, like three or four days a week. I started with the messages transcribed, and that's why it took three years to get the book written. So it came out this week, and I want to do a series on it just to kind of give you guys some flavor of what the, what the book is about. But even more background would be this. I, uh, I, I've been married twice. And I share this because our church has grown a lot during COVID. And uh, a lot of you are new. And then a lot of you coming back have heard the story. But I want to catch those of you new up. So I was married for 26 years. And it was a really hard marriage from like day one. And I'll be sharing stories about that as I go through the series. But uh, it, it really, really tore me up. And, and my divorce broke me. And, and this church loved me back to health. These are really good people if you're new, by the way. And, and then uh, I was never going to get married again. Like, I'm done. I've been hurt. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to just, like, love my people, start churches, hunt, fish, travel, that kind of thing. And, and, and God surprised me with an amazing woman. I met her six years ago. We got married five years ago. We just celebrated five amazing years. We just got back from Hawaii, had an amazing, amazing time. And it's been such a life-giving relationship for me. Um, God has used... Carissa to heal me, to redeem a lot of my story, uh, to make me more whole. The best part of the day is when I come home and I see Carissa. And, and I could clean toilets with that woman and I'd be happy because I just love being with her. And so I, some people said, you should like name the book, like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, maybe Bad Marriage, Good Marriage. Like, no, that's kind of tacky. But that is my story. And so what I'm sharing with you is, is uh, some, some things I've learned the hard way and some things I learned from Scripture, and some things that have really helped me. So I'm excited to share with you what, what God has to say about life-giving relationships, not just marriage, but life-giving relationships in general, because that's really what this, this series is, is about, okay? So um, here's how we're going to roll with the series. There's 10 chapters. We're going to hit four topics and kind of just kind of truncate them a little bit. So the, the first week, week one, is going to be choosing the right one. Um, this will also apply to those of you who are married. I'll explain why in a minute. Uh, week number two next week is increasing your connection intelligence. Week three is sex secrets of an oversexed king. You may have show up for that one? It's in the song of songs. Come on. It's going to be awesome. Don't you guys like sex? Jeez. Uh, no, no applause or anything there. Anyway, so um, and I, I put that week three instead of week four because week four is Mother's Day, and I don't want to talk about sex in front of your moms, okay? So week four, we're talking about building an unbreakable bond. I think if there's any novelty to the book, it's the emphasis on bonding and attachment. I'll speak to that briefly today. There's literature that supports the fact that if you have a strong attachment, you have a strong marriage. 
And I'm going to talk about that from a, a biblical standpoint. So we'll do that on Mother's Day. That will be the most important message. So be here Mother's Day and bring your moms and your friends and stuff. Okay? All right. Uh, today, choosing the right one. We're going to talk about four areas of compatibility in the book. I talk about nine. And, and I'm going to talk about how to listen to this message. Okay? So some of you are single and you don't want to get married. And that is so cool with us. All right? In a lot of churches, it's like there's this taxonomy, this hierarchy. If you're married, you're here. If you're single, you're here. And there's all this pressure to get married. And why aren't you married yet? And that is not this church. In the scripture, it's just the other way. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, it's actually better to be single. Because if you're single, your heart's not divided. Your time's not divided. You can be more devoted to intimacy with God and, and to ministering to people because you have more discretionary money and time. And so, man, if you're, if you're not wanting to get married, good for you. We, we support that 100%. But the question I want you to ask today is, if you chose to get married, are you the kind of person that you would want to be married to? Is that a helpful question? Because you are married to Christ, and you're going to be married to yourself forever, and people are still going to be in a relationship with you. So are you becoming the kind of person that can have life-giving relationships and form deep, deep attachments with others? So... Way to think about this message. Um, if you're single and you want to get married, then uh, yeah, yeah, put some of these qualities perhaps on your list if they're not already on your list of what you're looking for. But I would encourage you to, again, ask the same question. Am I the kind of person I would want to be married to? Andy Stanley, he says this really well. He says, are you becoming the kind of person that the person you're looking for is looking for? Because we attract who we are, right? So if you want to, if you want to marry a skier, it kind of helps if you ski. If you want to marry somebody who emotionally can regulate and has intelligence, then it helps if you have those qualities. If you want somebody who loves Jesus and is trying to create a life-giving relationship with Jesus and is trying to make disciples and live out the mission of Jesus in this world, then you have to be a disciple and you have to be making disciples. You, you attract who you, who you are. So ask yourself, am I the kind of person that I want to attract? Um, if, you're, if you're married... Uh, this message is also for you because chances are, no matter how great your marriage is, you want to make it even better. And so instead of elbowing your spouse who may be sitting next to you, elbow yourself a little bit, okay, and ask yourself, am I the kind of person I would want to be married to? Am I growing in the qualities that would support a really robust, healthy, joy-filled, life-giving relationship? And then finally, um, if you're married and you want to be single, see me on the porch afterwards and... Uh, I will give you the phone number to my shrink, and if, you know, I want to help you out. But in all seriousness, you're in a tough spot if that's where you are. And, and as a church, we're going to come alongside you. We're going to help you. Uh, we'd love to get you connected to a therapist if you need to or an elder. We, we have mentoring couples. I connected two couples this week. One's going to mentor the other couple that's kind of struggling a little bit. We want to help you. Do not isolate, okay? We're going to come alongside you and help you. All right. So are, are you with me? We're going to look at four areas of compatibility. We're all going to ask the same question. Am I the kind of person I would want to be married to. Because here's the deal. You may be married now, but in eternity, you're going to be single. It says in Mark 12, marriage will not happen in, in heaven. We're so married and so fulfilled in our relationship with Christ. We're all going to be single. So we're going to be single most of eternity, but we still want to become the kind of people that can have really life-giving relationships. So we're going to ask that question. First of all, and this is predictable because I'm a pastor, um, spiritual compatibility. If you're going to get married, you want to marry somebody who you are spiritually compatible with. That's no surprise today, right? You guys are a little, you're a little quiet here today. Dang, give me something. I said, please sit in the front row. Can you just laugh at anything I say? Can you really? <laughs> okay, here we go. We're warming up. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 15. 
Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Uh, Belial was a, a, an idiom used for people who are idolaters. Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Okay, so the primary me- metaphor in this passage is that of a yoke. Paul's using a yoke to describe what happens when you're in a, a business partnership or a marriage or a relationship where you're not equally yoked. The, the yoke obviously was an agrarian you know, metaphor. You've got two ox and they're pulling a plow to fix a field, make a field ready for you know, seed, seeding and harvesting. And if you have two ox and two different, different, different yokes, they're going to tear the plow part, they're going to mess up the field. So that was the image in their heads. But they also back then understood a yoke to be the teaching of someone. They often talked about in the Jewish community the yoke of a rabbi. Some of your rabbi was Gamaliel or Hillel or Shammai, or maybe it was Jesus. Uh, if, if you were Greco-Roman in your background, you would have thought about Aristotle or, or Plato or Hippocrates or maybe a, a local teacher there in Corinth. They understood the yoke to be a set of teachings, but not just like stuff that we, we believe in our head, an actual way of living. The yoke was the teaching that shaped your philosophy of life, your theology of life, and how you lived your life. And so Paul is saying here, if you're in a relationship with somebody, a significant relationship, and you're under different teaching, then eventually you're going to tear that relationship probably apart. And if it's, if it's in a marriage, you'll tear the marriage apart. You'll tear your heart apart. Jesus said, what God has joined together, let no person tear asunder. Because when you go through a divorce, I know I've been through one, it tears your heart apart. And it tears kids apart, families apart, tears society apart. And so Paul's trying to prevent this. And so he's saying, make sure that whoever you marry, that you have an, an equal spiritual yoke with them. That you're in the same, the same teaching as your spouse is. So um, I learned this the hard way, like a lot of things in life. My, my ex and I, when uh, we were dating, we didn't date long enough. We dated like, like really four months. Uh, and I... We both were passionate about Jesus. My buddy led her to Christ one night. She got involved in a student ministry that I led. She was memorizing scripture. She led some friends to Christ. Like, she was passionate about Jesus. And I just didn't give enough time because shortly after we we were married, she stopped following Jesus. Every once in a while, she would try again for a while, and then she'd stop. And she told my son uh, right during the time when we were getting divorced, she said, I haven't walked with God for 10 years. And so this was a constant point of tension for us. It affected how we spent money, how we thought about money. It affected how we raised our kids, how, how we invested our time, whether or not we exercised hospitality, whether she came even to church or not. It, it was a constant point of tension because, you see, we were under different yokes. We were under different teaching, and it eventually led to the, the demise of our marriage. So when I thought about dating again, even though I vowed not to, but I thought, oh, if I ever date, I'm going to make sure that that is a priority and that I actually get to know somebody really, really well. I don't want somebody who just goes, check, I'm a Christian. Check, I'm a disciple. I want to see that they're following Jesus and they have a track record. So when I met Carissa, I went really slow and I watched. And she'd been in another church here in town, obviously not nearly as good a church as this one. But <laughs> nevertheless, at least she was going to church. And, and, and then she was a disciple, you know, because she served. And she'd been to India and mission trips. She even started a ministry to provide wells every year for, for people in villages in India. School teacher, that was her calling. It was just like, this, she's legit. And as I talked to her, I could, I could tell she loved Jesus. And I watched her over a whole year consistently, faithfully obey the commands of Jesus and, and walk with the Lord. And now 
Uh, I think that's one of the reasons our marriage is so incredibly life-giving. We're raising the kids the same way. We, we think about money the same way. We invest our time similarly. She, she's making disciples and leading simple churches. We are, we are spiritually compatible, and it's made such a huge difference. So when it comes to marrying somebody and this issue of spiritual compatibility, there are actually four possibilities. Um, one possibility, and we like to hear these stories here every once in a while here at Restoration. You've got a follower of Jesus who's really passionate. you got somebody who's not following Jesus, but because of the attractiveness of the life of the person who is following Jesus, the non-follower becomes a follower. And when that happens around here, we're like, yeah, that's awesome. We celebrate that. Unfortunately, that's not usually how it turns out. Okay? So that's one possibility. If that happened to you or may happen to you in the future, that's awesome. That's beautiful. Um, another possibility is the non-follower wears the follower down over time. Says, ah, do you really need to go to church this week? Do you really need to be in a simple church? Do you really, you really think we should give away that kind of money? That's crazy. People don't do that. And, and begin to wear them down. And so the, the person who is following Jesus, their, their faith begins to diminish. Their passion for Christ is, is diminished. And, and some people who are following Jesus, they stop following him. Okay. Uh, another possibility is that the, the two people land somewhere in this land of mediocrity. They're in the middle. And neither one of them are really living life the way that they were made to live. So... For, for Christ followers, if you really want to experience the abundant life Jesus has for you, you've got to go all in. Like, it's all about grace and soaking in God's grace and soaking the gospel. But you've got to, like, totally give your life to him. He has to be Lord of everything. Your, your ideas, your feelings, your heart, your, your money, everything. He has to be Lord. And as you follow him as Lord, your life becomes more meaningful, more purposeful, more filled with love and connection with God and connection with other people. I mean, life just gets better and better. Not easy, but better and better as you follow Jesus. Now, if you're not Christian, then, wait, man, if you're going to be a not Christian, go all out. Like Luther said, if you're going to sin, sin boldly. Like, you know, be your own God and you live how you, whatever you want to do. You want to party, you want to like serve people, whatever you want to do, just go all out and just, you know, leave God out of the whole thing. But when a couple tries to find some mediocre middle, then neither one are really happy. And then, of course, the last possibility is the one we'd love to see around here, and that is you have a passionate follower of Jesus who loves Jesus, who's growing in the ways of Jesus. More of the fruits of the Spirit, the virtues of Christ, love and joy and peace and other virtues are becoming more and more evident in their lives. And they marry somebody else that is on the same path, under the same yoke, and they grow together. And they grow in the ways of Jesus, and they leave a beautiful, eternal, spiritual legacy. Amen? That's what we want. So our question right now, whether you are single, want to stay single, married, want to find somebody, is, is the question, are we spiritually becoming the kind of people that we want to be married to? Because the more we grow spiritually, the more we practice our faith, the more love we're going to have in our heart, the more power we're going to have in our souls to create life-giving marriages and relationships. That's number one. Number two is uh, attraction compatibility. And this is the one that we're most familiar with, right? We, we get attracted to somebody and we go, man, you're hot. I want to marry you. Okay. Uh, did, did a wedding the other night and I talked about Jacob and, and Rachel Lee a little bit. And um, uh, Jacob, if you know the story, he, he was the third of the patriarchs. And uh, that means like the fathers of the Israeli faith, Hebrew faith. And his story is like one of those Netflix series that you watch and you say to yourself, I should not be watching this. Like, this is just not good for my soul. This is just so bloody and dark. And that's kind of his story. So it's in Genesis. You can read it. And, 
So here's a little bit of the story. His, his brother threatens to kill him because he steals his birthright. So he goes and lives with Laban a long way away. And, and, and when he meets his cousin, Rachel, this is where it gets weird right away. He meets his cousin, Rachel, and he goes, I want to marry her. She's like, and it says that she was beautiful in face and form. She's like a 10, just really hot. He's like, oh, yeah, she's the one. And so he, he asks Laban, like, I want to marry her. And Laban says, I'll tell you what, I'll cut you a deal. He says, you work for me for seven years. Basically, you become my slave for seven years. I'll let you marry Rachel. And he's like, all right, game on. Let's get, to, let's get going. Seven years pass by, and, and uh, he marries Rachel. So he thinks. But apparently, he had a few too many pops, you know, the night of his wedding. And, and then uh, he, what happened was Laban snuck Leah into the tent, and he married Leah. And it says about Leah in the scriptures that her eyes were soft, meaning she probably wasn't that great looking. And, and this is the funny part. He wakes the next morning and he says, there was Leah, it says in scripture. Like, well, duh, you were drunk, okay? And, and he's like, he's so mad at, at Laban. He comes out of the tent or wherever they were staying and he's like chasing down Laban. Laban says, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I forgot to tell you. <laughs> I forgot, it was a fine print on the contract. Uh, where we were from, we always give the, the oldest daughter away first and then you can marry the younger one. And he goes, so I'll cut you another deal. Uh, if you will stay with Leah this week and finish the wedding because the weddings were a week long, then you can marry Rachel the next week. And so he marries both of them and has to spend another seven years working off the dowry and all that stuff. So anyway, you have incest, uh, you have polygamy, you have deceit, you know, basically everything you would want in a great Netflix series <laughs> right there. As you continue through the story, uh, Jacob continues to value Rachel more than Leah. In fact, you see all these quirky things happening. Like usually the blessing would go to the firstborn and the firstborn would be the next patriarch. But instead he gives the blessing to one of the kids he had with, with Rachel, which was Joseph, the second youngest. He's always favoring Rachel because of her beauty over Leah. But as you go through the story, you, you begin to realize, man, Leah seems like she has more depth here. She seems to be the more mature of, of the two. And so he's valuing one or the other for the wrong reasons. Now, am I saying that uh, physical attractiveness is not important? No, it is important. But I'm saying spiritual attractiveness and the, the content of a person's character is even more important. Because we, we tend to choose a mate based on how cute they are or how cut they are versus the content of their character and the content of their calling. Do you see this? We, we tend to weight the physical here and we weight, weight the character and the calling of a person here. Well, this is going to diminish over time. And this is the only thing that's going to last. This is what matters the most. This matters, but this matters a whole lot more. Because this will have a much stronger impact on the health of the marriage over the long haul. Uh, when Chris and I started dating, well, actually pre-dating, because at our age, there's a, like a long interview process, and then you go, now we're dating, okay? And uh, it, it was Valentine's Day, and I, I spent a couple, like, dates with her, so to speak, walks and eating lunches and stuff. And, and we weren't official yet, so I was like, gosh, it's Valentine's Day. What should I do? So I called up my former assistant, and uh, she's moved to Nashville since then, but I was like, what do I do? Like, I, I, I don't want her to feel like I don't, you know, I don't, I want to pursue her, but we're not really dating yet. And, and she said, you are such an idiot. You're like way overthinking this thing. Just get her some flowers and a card. It, it's all good. So I got her flowers and a card. And then she showed up for our Saturday evening service. 
And, and then I said, well, gosh, there she is. I said, hey, you want to come to my house after the service? And so she got some food and showed up. And I'm like a total single guy. House is dirty. I pull a bottle of wine out of the refrigerator that I opened three weeks earlier. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> I'm pressure with this bottle of wine. And so we have dinner. And then we go in the living room. And she didn't sit on the couch next to me because that wasn't appropriate at that stage of the relationship. She sat on this chair. But I was hoping someday she would sit on the couch, uh, which eventually she did, thank God. So she's sitting in this chair, and we're having a conversation, and out of nowhere, she just makes this statement. She says, you see me. You see me. And I didn't respond, like start asking her questions about that. I just gave her an annoying look because I knew what she was talking about. Now, I believe my wife is gorgeous physically, but what really attracted me to her was the beauty of her soul. And there was a part of my heart that was exhilarated and, and kind of sad at the same time. I, I, I was sad because she'd been single for 39 years. Because other men had not seen her. They didn't have the character and the calling and the depth of maturity to be able to see who she was and appreciate it. But I was also exhilarated because... It was their loss, and I won. <laughs> I go, I see you, and I got you. I got you. I got you, okay? Oh. I, I know so many women in our church that, to be frank, from a cultural standpoint, maybe not are eight, nines, and tens. They're not going to be in a magazine cover. They're still attractive, but their souls are tens. The content of their character is a ten. And yet, because guys wait this much more than this, they're not seen as they're passed by. And these are women who are capable of creating very life-giving marriages. And I know some, some guys in our church that have done a lot of work on themselves. They've grown the ways of Jesus. They've soaked themselves in the gospel. And they're, they're godly, godly men. And they're not seen because women put more emphasis on this than on this. And, and then we have some people that are like tens in terms of their external appearance and tens in terms of their character, and we hate them. <laughs> we just hate you. That's where you are today, okay? But Jesus loves you, and so we choose to love you uh, as well, okay? All right. So attractionally, are you becoming the kind of person that you would want to be married to? And, and again, you need to take care of your body. First Timothy 4, 7 through 8 says, train yourself to be godly, for bodily discipline is of importance, but godliness is of importance for this life and the life to come. So your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Take care of it. You know, eat, exercise, all the stuff that we're told to do. Do that stuff. Take care of yourself. Bring your, bring your best game, okay? But focus more on your character, and you'll become the kind of person that can have a life-giving marriage and relationships in general. All right, number three is family background compatibility, something that we don't think about or talk about a whole lot when we're thinking about getting married. Uh, Ezekiel 16.44 says, Everyone who quotes Proverbs will quote this proverb about you, like mother, like daughter. So let me, let me like break this down a little bit. A little history lesson on, on Israel. You had, you had 12 tribes. You had 10 in the north and 2 in the south, Judah and Benjamin, but they call them Judah. And, and then uh, the northern tribes, which is like the mother figure, because they were bigger and older, uh, they wandered away from God. They were idolaters. They were Belial. They, they pursued idols. And so in 740 B.C., they were conquered by the Assyrians. 
And then for the next 20 years, they continued to exile them and exile them. And they became like the 10 lost tribes. They, they never came back. And, and God was hoping that Judah would stay faithful. And Judah did stay faithful for a while. But then Judah began to follow the same idols that Israel had followed. And so eventually in 5, what was it, 587, um, they were exiled as well under the, under the, uh, the Babylonians. And so what, what Ezekiel, who was a prophet, I think social commentator, but inspired by God and speaking to the spiritual condition of a nation, what God was saying to Israel or Judah was that you're just like your mother. You're just like your mother. And you two have fallen away from me. But there's other principles here. Uh, girls tend to follow mom and boys tend to follow dad. Now, there's exceptions, but we tend to become like our same gender parent. But an even more general principle is this. Family backgrounds really matter. They shape us spiritually in every way possible. They, they shape us more than anything else. Okay? So you need to be aware of your family background and what kind of stuff you're, you're bringing into the marriage. And you need to be aware of the family background of the person you're thinking about marrying. And I'm going to do a little sidebar here. I want to say this. Unhealthy families create unhealthy future marriages Healthy families tend to create healthy future marriages, which is why I'm going to talk to parents just for a minute here, okay? Parents, one of the greatest gifts you can give your kids is a healthy marriage. If you want to have a healthy family system, the marriage has to be a bigger priority than the kids. One of the worst things you can do for your kids is be kid-centric. Focus on your marriage first and your kids will benefit. Chris and I just got back from Hawaii and we did not go with the kids. It was awesome. It was so good. In fact, at one point I go, you miss the kids? Like, this is like day five. Like, you miss the kids? And you're like, no, me either. No, it's, I'm fine without those kids, you know? <laughs> we started missing a little bit at the end. But, you know, what we were doing was really important. And we, we didn't feel any guilt because we realized when our marriage is growing stronger, that's one of the best gifts we could ever give our kids. Because unhealthy families create unhealthy marriages. Healthy families, healthy marriages create future healthy marriages. So uh, uh, round one on this, I, I didn't do my homework, and I didn't realize how important this was. And I was very naive. I was a pretty new believer, and my, my ex-spouse now was even more, more new in her faith. And, uh, you know, I was so naive. I, I'd quote verses to myself. I know we've got a pass, and, but, you know, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing, says the Lord. And I just neglected to really pay attention to that. And so we brought a lot of baggage into our relationship that we both were unaware of. Uh, I, I would describe my family background as consistent but distant. So my parents were always there. They stayed married for over 60 years, but they had a very distant relationship. I didn't see an attachment. I didn't see, I didn't see warmth. And I, I love both my parents. May they rest in peace. But they just never modeled that for me. And often they would fight, and I would break it up. My dad was a big boxer kind of guy. My mom was like me, but shorter. And I'd, I'd get in the middle of that. Like, I was always breaking up fights and stuff. That was my family background. And, and, and then uh, my, my ex-wife, I would describe her family background as inconsistent and abusive. So her, her mom married a few times, had some living guys, you know, in the family unit for a while. Uh, there were a lot of drugs, uh, a lot of violence. I mean, God bless her. She just bought... Not a whole lot of great cards into the marriage. And I didn't have a whole lot either, to be honest. So I, I, I vowed that if we would ever get married again, I, I would do my work on my past. And I would make sure that my, my future spouse 
had a decent family background. At least I was aware of it. My sisters told me after we went through our divorce, they said, okay, we didn't want to say this when you were married, but do not marry mom again. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? Like, you married mom. Like, mom never really attached to dad, and they didn't have an intimate relationship, and you married, you married mom. And we love our mom. Yeah, I love mom. But she just didn't really have that, that Velcro. And, uh, and then my therapist, I talked to him about it. He goes, yeah, he, he did some kind of like psychobabble thing. And he goes, you married who you married trying to fix your parents' marriage in some weird unconscious way, some kind of jujitsu thing. I don't know. He goes, don't do that again. Same thing that, that my sister said. So when, uh, when I met Carissa, I checked my heart and I, I paced myself. And I go, I am not marrying her until I meet her family. And I had heard good things about them, but I finally met them, and I realized uh, they were interviewing me as much as I was interviewing them. Big family, sisters, tons of kids, tons of cousins, this huge family, right? And, and what I saw was amazing. I felt like I got thrown into a Norman Rockwell painting. Like, they loved each other. There was no drama, just nothing but respect. And they had this legacy going back for generations of walking with Jesus. And, you know, all the brother-in-laws are leaders in their church, and their wives are leaders in the church. This incredible family. I kept looking for, like, they're not perfect, but I kept looking for stuff. I couldn't find it. And, and, and then I, I realized, I'm like, when I sit at the kitchen table with them or, you know, we're outside taking pictures, I, I'm always kind of like, which of these is not like the other? I feel like the, the black sheep sometimes. Anybody here feel like that? You know? Because I, I honestly, I think I sinned more by the age of five than they did collectively in their whole lifetime. <laughs> like, like, oh my gosh, these people are so amazing. So I'm, I'm the beneficiary of, of a legacy of godliness. I've I benefited so much from how Chris's family has shaped her. So be aware of your stuff from your family background. Be aware of the person that you're dating. And some of you are thinking right now, well, then I think I might be, like, screwed. Okay. I, I had a guy in the church who uh, is an ex-con. He's been in and out of jail and prison his whole life. Horrible background. He read the, the manuscript. And he goes, Pastor, I don't think I have a chance. Let me tell you that's not true. That, that is a lie from the devil. I don't care how messed up, how jacked up your family background is. You can overcome it with God's help. If you read through the Kings and Chronicles and First and Second Samuel, you, you'll hear about these kings. And there's good kings and bad kings. And so often the really great kings came out of a messed up family background. But they chose with God's help to become a transitional figure in their family lineage. And they walked with God and they saturated themselves in grace. That the scriptures transformed their mind and transformed their life. And they created healthy, godly families with an incredible legacy. That can be your story. You want that? Amen, anybody? You want that? So I didn't have like a horrible background, but I have a great one. And I've had to do a lot of work. I've spent somewhere between 50 and 70,000 bucks on therapy. I, lost, I stopped counting because it depressed me. Uh, I've had spiritual directors and life coaches, and I, I have consumed grace like oxygen. And I've had to work really hard at replacing lies I believed about myself and about marriage with God's truth. And I have a long, long way to go. But I'm grateful for the work that I've done because I don't think Chris would have married me if I hadn't done that work. You can be a transitional figure in your family's lineage. So here's the question. When it comes to your family background and your issues, are you becoming the kind of person that you would want to be married to? Last, last uh, area of compatibility, attachment compatibility. 
Uh, I'm going to spend a ton of time on this here in a few weeks, but I just want to touch on it because I think it's the most important thing I have to say in the whole book. Genesis 2.24 says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So th- that word for united, it's cleave in some translations. It's debak in Hebrew. It means to attach. It means to bond. It means to, to create a, a, a lifelong connection with somebody. You see, from the vantage point of Scripture, the marriage is the bond. If you have a strong bond with your mate, you will have a strong marriage. If you have a weak unhealthy bond, you have a weak and unhealthy marriage. And this was certainly true of my ex and I. As I look at all the effort we put into trying to make our marriage work, it was like we were constantly trying to fan into a flame some spark that never existed. You have to be able to attach. You have to marry somebody who can attach to you. You have to give your heart to them fully. And they have to give their heart fully to you in order for you to have a life-giving relationship with them. So do your homework on yourself. Do your homework on them. Find out about their previous relationships, their attachments, their mom and dad and family and siblings, because the past is the prologue. Their past is the beginning of what's going to happen with you in the future, and you need to do your homework. So kind of like the uh, family background stuff, some of us have attachment issues. I had definitely some attachment issues. Never formed a really strong bond with my mom. That's why I married somebody who didn't form a bond with me. I had to work through some stuff. <clears throat> if you have attachment issues or full-on attachment disorder, you can become sticky again. You can go from being like, oh, come on. There we go. There we go. You can go from being like this. Your heart, another heart, and you can't seem to connect, you can't seem to really attach, you can go from being this to developing a bond that is so strong you, can, you can't really even tear it apart. You, you can replace Velcro in your soul that's missing because of trauma in your past or because of the nature of your relationships growing up. You, you, can get, you can get it fixed, and you can develop a powerful, powerful bond with somebody. But you have to do your work. How many of you saw Good Will Hunting? With Matt Damon. Remember that? You haven't seen the movie? It's a great movie about attachment issues. Uh, Matt Damon falls in love with Minnie Driver, and she's like, great, and like, perfect in every way for him. And he starts getting closer and closer and closer, and, and then it starts to get scary to him. Because every time he's gotten close to people, he's been hurt. But then the movie, because of Robin Williams' influence on him, he goes, I'm going to do it, and he goes for it. And you're like, yeah, you're cheering him on because they drive off together. Like, he's going to go for it. He's going to work through his issues, his attachment issues, and he's going to create a bond with that woman. It's a great ending. It's hopeful. If you have bonding issues, work through your issues. Become more and more aware. Ask the God who's bonded his heart with you to give you what it takes to bond with others. And you'll be so, so glad that you did. I want to end with a, a marriage story. There, there's a lot of couples in the Bible. And the Bible is just so brutally honest. Like some couples are just messed up, right? And they're all kind of messed up because we're just broken people. But there's a lot of great marriages in the Bible as well. And my favorite marriage is that of, of Abraham and Sarah. And they were married for decades. They married young. They were married a long time. And they lived a long time. And, but you'd be hard-pressed to find a couple in history that had a more significant legacy than those two. So they gave birth to a son, Isaac, who gave birth to other sons. And they became the 12 tribes of Israel. And they became Israel. And out of Israel came Jesus Christ, the Messiah, 
the Savior of the world. And we're here today because of him. And we're here today because of them. So, in my opinion, they are a model for us all. They're a model for what a great marriage can be. You see, they, they had all kinds of compatibility. They were spiritually compatible. They were attracted to each other's bodies and souls. Um, they had some family background stuff to work through. They, were, they came from a polytheistic background, but they became monotheists and began to follow Yahweh together. And, and then they, they attached deeply. Their marriage wasn't perfect. Read the story. Kind of got messed up a few times. But overall, they had a really healthy, life-giving marriage. And out of that life-giving marriage came this incredible legacy that we get to share in. And I believe God wants the same thing for all of us, those who want to get married and those who choose not to. He wants us to be the kind of people that we want to be married to so that we can form deep, intimate relationships and so that we can have a heritage of making biological and spiritual disciples who make disciples for ages to come and change the face of eternity. Is that good news? So as we leave here today, let's ask ourselves the question, are we the kind of people that we would want to be married to? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for your word and how honest it is and how truthful it is. And, and we thank you that what we see in Scripture is we see a God who wants to bond with us and who so longs to be married to us that he sent his son Jesus Christ into the world to deal with our sin and our brokenness so that we can form a healthy attachment with you. And so, Father, as we reflect on what you've said to us today, we pray that we become the kind of people that can form deep, intimate, life-giving relationships in this life and in the life to come. And we pray that as a church, we have a legacy of making disciples, make disciples until you come home and restore all things, Jesus. So in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. A um, couple things before I close. If you're here and you're like, I've never had that with God. You're talking about a life-giving connection with God. I've never had that. Or maybe I had it and it got broken. And I don't feel attached to him. You don't have to leave here the way you came in. Jesus Christ went to the cross to forgive your sin and begin the restoration process in your life of making you whole and complete. And so if today you'll make him your Savior and you'll make him your Lord, he will transform you. All you have to do is say Yes. Say, yes, Jesus, I receive your grace. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your promise of eternal life. I receive relationship with God through you. And I give you my life for yours. And if that's where you are today, we want to help you in your journey. Please fill out a connection card. Uh, let us know that you did that. And we would encourage you to get baptized as soon as possible. That is your next step as a follower of Jesus. It shows God and yourself and your friends, I've been washed. I've been cleansed. I am in relationship with God forever and ever. Uh, one more thing. I want to thank you again for being so generous as a church. As Jason said, we're seeing more and more people get baptized, primarily through our simple churches, than we ever have before. I don't even know what the number is right now. It's, I think it's approaching 60 in the last seven or eight months. Uh, there was a couple of the Sturkeys. We got a picture of the Sturkeys. This is kind of cool. Uh, they're neighbors of mine. They've been going to our church for a while. Do we have a picture? There we go. There we go. They got baptized uh, here, I think it was Thursday night. Is that a cool picture or what? Let's put our hands together for these guys. That's Alan. He's, they've been in Alan's Simple Church now for like a couple years. And uh, man, it's so great to celebrate with them. There's new life in our church thanks to you guys. When you give to our church, you're not giving to a church. You're giving through a church. And you're making disciples. And you're, you're changing people's lives for eternity. I just want to say a huge thank you.
you want to give today, you can use the envelopes. You can put them in the, envelope, uh, the boxes on the way out, or you can just go online and automate your giving. Love you guys so much. Next week, we're going to continue the series and talk about how to increase our connection intelligence. Hope to see you there.